Hi, and welcome to Captivated Audience, an anti-financial crime podcast. My name is Marie Lundberg, and I'm joined, as always, by my friend and professional colleague, Sam Sheen. Marie, how are you doing up in Stockholm? Well, thank you, Sam. I am doing quite well. I hope things are good in London. Well, I wish we had time to sit out and enjoy the beautiful blue skies, but it feels like this summer has been a busy time. Not only do we have consultation papers being released by bodies such as the FATF, and on top of it all, all the EU jurisdictions are running to the finish line for their registers, aren't they? Well, Sam, they sure are. And therefore, we have German representation with us today. So, guten Tag, Ina Rote. Wie geht's? Hello. Thank you very much for that very kind German hello from you. I'm really well. Thank you. Can I get you to tell the folks listening who you are, where you work and where you're currently based? First of all, it's a great pleasure to be here and thank you for having me. And it's also quite a, an honor to be standing in for Jennifer Henley, who couldn't make it today, unfortunately. I have been and I am many things, actually. I'm a Berliner by birth, born and bred there. I am now someone living in Cologne. It's a city in the west of Germany, for those who don't know. I am an educational scientist. I'm a commercial lawyer. I have been a fraud investigator, an auditor, a trainer, a university lecturer, <laughs> and an expert advisor on university degrees. But most importantly for today's subject, I'm also a multiple money laundering officer, mainly for German small and medium-sized enterprises in the investment industry, you could say. That's a pretty diverse career background. How on earth did you come to land in financial crime prevention? Well, I've been in the wider compliance and forensic business for over 17 years now. And then I started my career at forensic and compliance departments of larger accountancy firms. I was involved in many an investigation into embezzlement, fraud, theft, which often was a case of tracing the proceeds of crime. Early on in my career, I was following the money and I was trying to identify or prove beneficiaries. And I was learning about the value of intransparent ownership structures, complex cross-border transactions for those that wish to hide and launder money without leaving too many traces, of course. That's probably how I developed a certain penchant for anti-money laundering, anti-financial crime. It's a challenging legal subject, but also there's a creative element, really. And five years ago, a friend of mine and I, we set up Two Towers Consulting. It's a compliance consultancy with a focus not only on anti-money laundering, but all other compliance topics such as data protection or fraud in the wider sense. A year ago, we also partnered with Berlin Risk and established a joint venture, All AML. Well, Ina, with that background and knowledge, Let's dive directly into today's topic about the Transparency Register in Germany. What is all the fuss about? The Transparency Register, or for those that have a different name for it, the UBO Register, Register for Ultimate Beneficial Owners, that was set up quite late in the day, actually, as it was everywhere in Europe. It was set up on the new German Money Laundering Act based on the fourth EU AML directive, came into force in June 2017. So that's four years ago. It is not actually a full register. 
it is a substituting register. That is, only those companies for which there is no beneficial ownership information on a different already existing register, such as the corporate or trade registers, only those companies have to notify the transparency register of their ultimate beneficial owners. I just want to take a step back, Ina, because being from Canada, people make so many mistakes about understanding my country and that it's not run the same way as America. Can you just explain for people, do you just have one political system in Germany or are you made up of states or regions and does that impact how companies are registered? Well, we do have federal states similar to the United States, just very, very much smaller. <laughs> and generally, there is a standard procedure for the entirety of Germany of how to register a company. There are local responsibilities and local registers, but they all feed into a German general corporate register. However, the corporate register isn't the only register being maintained. There are also trade registers. They're all local. There are many other registers, such as that of registers, associations, charities. There are some registers of foundations and trusts. Again, not at a state level or federal state level. It's more of a local thing. So you see, it is rather difficult to explain and to understand. And it is quite a complex landscape, actually. So really, you have to understand how the different regulated entities might go about being supervised to make sure you go to the right register. Do I have that right? Yes, I mean, for a good bet is usually the corporate register, but generally, yes, you're right. You need a little bit of an understanding of the legal forms. I mean, they are similar to what you may know internationally, you know, limited company, limited partnership, things like that we do have as well. But we also have some specifically German legal constructs. The transparency register, that was designed, however, in order to overcome that complexity in a way, it does make things more complicated. Maybe we'll speak about that later. But in a way, it was designed to help and to be the one register you go to in order to obtain UBO information if there is no other register that holds that information. Let's see if I got this right. So the transparency register is acting sort of like a bridge between all the other registers built to mend the gap for anti-financial crime purposes. Yes, absolutely. That was the intention and purpose. I mean, it was an idea put forth by the EU and the realization of it in a national context was quite different across the EU. I mean, you may be familiar with Companies House in the UK, completely different matter in terms of setup and usability. But unlike Companies House, where you must register, but you can use things like your corporate provider's address instead of your own, the 5AMLD has introduced some exceptions. If there is a legitimate interest in not fully disclosing all your information on the register, you have other exceptions, though, don't you, for your register? Because there, there are approximately, is it 2 million entities who are registered so far? I don't know about how many are registered so far, because I don't think anybody can know before they registered, to be honest. <laughs> the obligation, well, the obligation is that you have to, first of all, identify your UBO and whether you're a trust or a company of whatever legal type. There are some exceptions, for instance, listed stock exchange listed companies. 
they are exempt because they are already subject to quite expansive transparency regulation. Generally, a company will have to identify their UBO. They will have to check, is this actually already on the corporate register or is there some other record the public could review online? So it has to be in an electronic format. If that is the case, they don't need to do anything about the transparency register or not until recently anyway. And all the other companies that find, oh, it's not actually that easy. We've got a complex structure. We've got some shareholders abroad. We don't actually know because we are part of a really large group of companies. We'll have to investigate our UBO and then we'll have to actually report it to the transparency register. They will have to register and then notify of their UBOs that they identified. It doesn't sound in any way illogical. But I think from a searching KYC perspective, unless you really understood that, you might be confused as to why you can't find it. Absolutely. And you wouldn't be the only person or only one, because, of course, there's an expectation that's being called the transparency register of the information being transparently there. And that is not the case. What it will show you, however, is, okay, a company has registered and has notified the transparency register of UBOs. Or no, it hasn't, but here you go. This is where you can find that information on the corporate register, for instance. It doesn't link into the other registers, however. So usability is an issue. This is going to change, by the way, because recently a new law passed that will make the transparency register change its character from this substituting register to a full register. And then really millions of entities will have to report and register all their UBOs on there. And then it becomes the thing that we all thought it would be from the start. Hmm, Ina, that makes me so curious about data entry into the registers. Who is actually doing the filing and are there any quality controls made on the information that is being gathered? The data points in this, you know, gets me a bit excited. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately, it's not particularly exciting. Whoever it is within the company whose role it is to understand the UBO structure and to report it will report it themselves. It might be myself as a director of a company who has that task. And then all you do is, as you'd imagine, you know, with an online database, you register yourself, you set up an account, and then you start reporting. It's a standard data input interface, basically. But unfortunately, as you might think, it doesn't link, as I said before, it doesn't link into other registers. So it doesn't draw information that is already there and that has already been reviewed and audited. So you input again manually, you may make mistakes, you may not quite understand what you're supposed to do because it is not that easy and straightforward, unfortunately. You may also delegate that to a consultant or a law firm or, you know, some sort of other advisor. The transparency register, they then review it. They actually do, but not in the sense that you might imagine now. They take the information you put in and they check plausibility. So a UBO by law is someone holding or controlling more than 25% of a company. Now, if you put in this and that person holding 25%, they will come back to you and say, well, you've put in a UBO that is not actually a UBO. Please go back and review. So that is the sort of checks that happen, but they won't take all your documentation and check for themselves because that is a sort of legal assessment that they won't do for you. 
have in place then with your registry, the discrepancy notification, because this was supposed to be the insurance policy, right? Which was, we presume the banks and the financial institutions will get the most current information. So if someone has forgotten to update the registry, the registry will get some sort of notice. They may not have current data. We do. And don't get me started on that, actually. (laughs) (laughs) It's one of my pet subjects regarding the transparency register. There is a legal obligation, just as you described. So a bank that does their KYC and they notice, oh, we've obtained some UBO information from the client themselves, but that is completely different to the information kept on the transparency or they haven't even registered with the transparency register, even though I, as a bank, deem them to be obliged to do so. Now, that discrepancy notification is a really important tool in identifying gaps and identifying those that potentially deliberately do not report to the transparency register. However, you may notify the register as a bank or as another obliged entity. If you are a mere consultant to a company that undertakes KYC for other reasons than AML, And you do notice something like that because you reviewed the transparency register and you also reviewed other corporate records. They will not actually accept your discrepancy notification because it doesn't say so in the law governing the transparency register. Wow. That is Mm. so different from the UK where in their public speeches, they have been saying, if you aren't sure, please tell us anyways. Which makes total sense as well. And is particularly when you think of the purpose of the transparency register. It's like, hello, I'd like to make something more transparent. No, we won't have that. It's, it's really quite absurd, but it is a, it's a particular German way of doing things. It doesn't say so in their rules, so they won't do it. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. But anywho, anyhow, moving on. So let's imagine I work as a KYC analyst. I need to get hold of information. Can I then access the register? Can I do my searches for free? Or do I have to pay a fee for, you know, obtaining the information? Well, yes, you can. It's the good good news on that. However, again, don't imagine it being like UK companies house. You just go online and basically all you do is work a search engine. And there you go. All your results there for free downloadable. That Mm. is not the case with the German Transparency Register. You have to set up an account. That's not too unusual. You have to prove your identity, though. So you have to submit passport, something like that. And then you may be allowed to do certain things. It depends on, are you a member of the public? So a journalist or some other interested party? Are you a member of enforcement authorities or supervisory authorities? Or are you just a member or an employee of an obliged entity such as a bank? It allows you to then search and download things. In the future... There are plans for a digital interface so that obliged entities such as banks really just have an electronic interface and can do that more automatically than the manual way it is now, similar to how it works with the corporate register. But that is Hmm. in the future. And it does actually also cost a fee per review. Depends on the document. Do you need to print it? It's a bit more expensive. And (laughs) simple what is the current status in the transparency register documentation that is i think at 196 euros at the moment jeez 
Please. Hmm. What do you do if you're a small business, Marie, and you don't even have a corporate credit card in the compliance team? What are you supposed to do? Get creative. <laughs> you ask a consultant, basically. <laughs> and, uh, oh, well, sorry. You may not even know about the transparency register. That is another thing. So many an obliged entity doesn't know they are obliged to start with. If they don't know that, they won't know about the transparency register. Because that's another oddity in the German Money Laundering Act. Why the Money Laundering Act as such, so all the KYC requirements, you know, AMO training requirements, etc., that applies only to certain obliged entities. I think you know the concept mainly banks or some other companies as well. But that transparency register registration requirement applies to all German companies. And that is really weird in that law, because on the first pages, it says only you, you, you and you must read on. And then 30 pages later, it says, no, now you all must be <laughs> aware of this new obligation, by the way. Otherwise, you'll get a fine. <laughs> So that seems really unfair. I don't know how it came about. We, we keep wondering about that in the AML scene, as it were, but that's how it is. Do you know, I, I struggle with this in so many ways because I don't see it taking account of the most basic human elements of things, which is if you hire a law firm or an accountancy to help you or a corporate formation agent, people forget things, people resign, people leave. Your records may be out of date just from a pure administrative error. So how will that be managed? Because you may end up with many discrepancy notices. People may download records they don't realize are not accurate. And you could have people chasing pointless information, which really doesn't help you understand the customer risk. Speaking of pointless, there's yet another oddity I'd quite like to share. So whereas the corporate register, for instance, has something that is called legal force. So anybody checking something on the corporate register may rely on that information, be it true or untrue. It is on the register. It is true in a legal sense. That, however, isn't the case for the transparency register. So even though you looked up the information on the transparency register, because you are required to do so, and you find some UBO information on there, you are then not supposed to rely on it. How bizarre is that? <laughs> but then what's the purpose? Exactly. Thank you. <laughs> you do see why I said it's all a bit more complicated. Oh. What's going to happen with the pan-European register, Ina? Because it's supposed to come into place at the end of this September in a magical world of perfect technology. Is that transparency register supposed to feed into that? Well, all of the transparency registers EU-wide are supposed to, and I don't see that happening at all. Really, I, I do not see it happening. I, I can't imagine how it would work if it's so difficult on a national level. And I'm not talking about Germany only. I've seen many a transparency register during my work and each and every one of them is so different from the next. I can't see it working and not at such short notice. As you say, it sounds rather magical and like a dream. I suppose my next magical observation <laughs> is about enforcement, right? So we have our tax authorities are now welcome to the regulatory family who can access AML data. We know that with the FIU in the UK, they have really taken advantage of accessing data on companies' house. Is it the same sort of open shop for them in Germany as well with a transparency register? 
It is theoretically. The last numbers that were published on, you know, which authorities make use of it, they were shockingly low, lower than 10 in terms of, you know, the police only asked this many times and tax authorities only this many times. And you just thought, really? <laughs> Do they know this is in existence? I don't have any current numbers. I think they are going up gradually. But it's not a matter of public information. Sometimes you do get leaked information or some party in the government asks the government what is actually the status. Does anybody use this? So that is, that is the only information out there. So it's not like the Transparency Register will publish information on that, unfortunately. Ina, you said you've seen other transparency registers. Companies House is very, very easy to search. Very true. It's uh, designed for people who are, you know, as the average person. Have you seen any other European countries who are now putting their register together where they might be a little more complicated to navigate? So compliance people should maybe take the time to learn how to use them. Well, some of the Eastern European ones, but that is down to language. It's the same with the transparency register in Germany. If Marie wouldn't speak German anyway, she'd get lost on the website already. <laughs> you know, it's all it's all in German legal speak. And I, I know they made an effort, we really did, for an authority and a, and a register. It looks rather good and all that, but usability is still so improvable. <laughs> and the same goes for other countries' registers, not just the transparency register. It starts with the corporate registers, to be honest, which are way more useful nowadays still than the UBO registers particularly since many a EU country is still lagging behind and hasn't even made it mandatory yet to report. You guys have been through your mutual evaluation. So uh, can we anticipate some interesting changes happening? Oh, we're still in the middle of it because uh, quite conveniently, there has been a COVID pandemic <laughs> <laughs> putting off many an interview and an on-site visit and inspection. However, they are getting along now and, and sort of they've started doing all the things that they could do from afar, but they, they're yet to come to Germany. I mean, there is a hope in the AML community that they will notice these flaws that I've been telling you about the transparency register. But of course, that isn't the only issue. There are so many other issues that we find in our day to day compliance work that really make Germany not particularly good at anti-money laundering. Really have to say so, and we're not the first to say so. <laughs> but looking at the results of the Russian evaluation, which was rather soft-worded in the end, and a rather good analysis or outcome for, for Russia, I should think that the visibility of all the issues we're having in the AML community and in, in the industry of all the people that actually have to comply and undertake the AML measures is not going to be there. And it's not going to end up in the mutual evaluation report. They will be looking at, oh, there's a transparency register. Ooh, they have actually realized the new AML directive very early on, sooner than other countries. Oh, the FIU has many more employees. You know, they'd be looking at statistics and facts, and they look good on paper. But us in the AMO compliance world, we see things differently. And this is not going to show up, I don't believe. 
Ina, I would just like to say vielen Dank for sharing the ins and outs about the German registers and shedding some light on its deficiencies too. So thank you so much. It was an absolute delight chatting with you. Thank Thanks you. for having me. It was a pleasure. Although I now think my opinion of the transparency register came out quite badly. <laughs> <laughs> And that brings us to the end of another Captivated Audience podcast. And if you would like to join Marie and myself, or if you have ideas for topics you'd love us to cover in the future, feel free to drop us a line directly on our Captivated Audience LinkedIn page, or you can also contact us directly on our dedicated website, captivatedaudience.eu. Well, we hope you're all having a very safe summer, that you've shown up for your vaccination appointments. And until the next time, please stay safe.